0: is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsassan. Welcome to today's episode on the Art of Masculinity. We have Chris Goodman joining us today. He is a life coach for entrepreneurs and CEOs with over 15,000 hours of coaching and training. Such an amazing conversation with Chris. I feel like I say this all the time, but with this conversation in particular, the one thing I took from it the most was the four competency levels of competency. It was such a profound kind of the introduction to what that looks like in our lives and how that shows up in our minds. And if you're very interested in what this is, I urge you to take a listen to today's episode. All right, guys, I'll see y'all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today, we have Chris Goodman on, an awesome human being. Chris, I've been watching your stuff for a little while. Dude, you put out really amazing content for people to really grasp onto and better themselves. And I really wanted to have you on the show because I truly appreciate that about you, brother.
1: Well, thank you so much. I, I Likewise, man. You know, there's, there's not enough coaches in the world. I know a lot of people like to say the coaching space is saturated. Uh, but great coaches, people who really care, uh, you know, your brand is all about authenticity, integrity, humility. Um, uh, there's not enough great coaches like that out there. So thanks for what you're doing too.
0: I appreciate that brother. I appreciate that. Well, it's a, a beautiful day out here. I don't know how it is in Kentucky right now, but South Carolina is gorgeous. Perfect day for a, a nice fun podcast. looks pretty sunny there. And yeah. how's everything going for you today? I know you had uh, some uh, sewer people come out to <laughs> cause some havoc this morning. Well,
1: yeah, this would just make everybody happy who's always told me I'm full of shit. Um, but yeah, we had, <laughs> <laughs> it was like that scene in um, Christmas Vacation where you know I looked outside yeah. and there's a guy pumping the sewer out of nowhere. I was like, what the hell is going on? But no, they the city has since moved on, so we shouldn't have that that distraction. But now things are great. It's actually colder here today than in Iceland. And the only reason I even know that is because we just, we spent a week in Iceland a a couple of weeks ago and I was like, this is wild. You know, you think when you think of a place like that, you just imagine glaciers and frigid weather and ice and snow. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, We were there. uh, I don't know when this episode will come out. So I'll say we were there in, let's see, Mm mid-November and it was awesome. It was a little bit chilly. Don't get me wrong, like mid thirties and low forties, but yeah, coming back here to like 21 degrees and, and bone chilling wind. I was like, well, I'm in Kentucky. It's supposed to be hot. What
2: <laughs> what the hell?
1: So just adjusting to that, but man, no, things are, things are great. I, I have no real complaints. And, and just like I asked my clients to focus on if you do have a complaint or a problem, make sure it's a high quality complaint or a high quality problem. <laughs> you
0: know? so, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, there's a, there's enough in this world that goes on around us that we could either complain about everything or we could actually find something worth complaining about at some point in our lives and use the complaints for the big thing. That's it.
1: That's it. And plus, nobody cares if you're complaining. Nobody <laughs> really cares, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. No, at the end of the day, we all got our own problem. It's so funny. Uh, I want to dive into that. I will real quickly. It's yeah. so funny because when you say that, it's like Nobody cares. Isn't it interesting how we all think people have a spotlight on us and just care everything about our lives, but yet everybody's so focused on their own stuff. If you thought about your thoughts, you don't care really about anybody else's lives or what's going on
1: there. Yeah. And and even if they did care that much, would you want to carry around that concern with you? Like, you know, if they were judging you, would you want to be on the hook for their judgment? It just doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely not. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, let's kick off with the manly round because I know we're going to have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. So let's kick off with the manly round, get the uh, community to know you a little better. Cool. Are you, You again, are you ready for it?
1: No. Yes. Maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Best answer yet. All right. First question is what is your spirit animal and why? Ooh. Uh,
1: it's funny. I, I was thinking about this the other day because um, I was watching uh, football and I was looking at all the different mascots and I was like, how do they choose the mascot? And I started thinking about if I chose a mascot for me or a spirit animal and I came out on Hawk um, or maybe an Eagle or something cool like that. But I, I think because freedom is so important to me and in, in every essence of the word. And um, I'm pretty sharp-sighted when it comes to seeing things that a lot of people are not able to see because of how I've, um, you know, spent my professional career uh, learning how to see those things. Um, and, and there's just like a shrewd nature to an Eagle or a Hawk that, you know, one thing that that doesn't capture. Cause my wife would be like, no, you're more like a, like a, a rabbit or something fun. Uh, <laughs> you know,
2: but <laughs> like
1: the, the, the Hawk and the eagle's got this, like, you know, shrewd sort of uh, persona, but I have a very lighthearted side, but that that's still, that's the final answer. I'm locking that in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. That's good, man. it's I have uh, an affinity towards, you know, The, um, our winged friends, uh, they have a a very nice, in my opinion, it's just, they always have that. Obviously we call it this bird's eye view of their whole environment around them. And so when they're not down on the ground, actually doing something for prey, it's like they get the most beautiful view of the world and life itself. I, I think a lot of people, while freedom is one thing, that is something that really always, uh, resonated with me about our winged friends.
1: Well said, definitely.
0: Yeah. All right, brother, what uh, what song, whenever you hear it, no matter where you are, so if you're in the middle of a subway, surrounded by hundreds of people, right, what song, if it comes on, do you absolutely have to start singing out loud with? Not just in your head, but actually, like, it just moves you to sing out loud.
1: Ooh, that's... Well, when we were in, this is not my actual answer, but this is what came to mind. And it's kind of funny. (laughs) Uh, We were in a basement bar. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just like almost like a dungeon um, in Iceland. And there were all kinds of people around us from Iceland. We learned um, Italians, French, um, Canadians, British, and of course, Americans. Um, And this guy sits down at this piano and starts out of nowhere playing Sweet Caroline and the Mm -hmm. entire every single individual in that bar sang along with it. And it was so funny to have that like universal language of music that, you know, permeated everybody's language and everybody's uh, culture. Um, That is definitely not what I would reach for, but that was fun. (laughs) Um, And and then, so the the next song I play guitar. So usually my mind goes to like, what do I have to do like air guitar to? um, And that, that would probably be, um, Oh God, so many are rushing to me, but Motley Crue. Um, and then it's funny cause I was never a Motley Crue fan, but a, a buddy dragged me to a concert of theirs uh, like 10 years ago. And it totally changed my opinion of Motley Crue. But I would say like, like, pretty much Dr. Feelgood or something like that, that would come on. I would just have to head bang with, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And also "Street Caroline. Like that's a, that's a really, I mean, that's a classic. I'm not shocked. Everybody knew it and you're right. Isn't it funny how music can just permeate through the entire world, no matter like what language you speak, anything like that. It's very fascinating to me.
1: You know, and especially if you play an instrument because you just, you feel it on a different level and you, it's like your your brain auto tunes to different things in, in the music. So it, that's why it's kind of hard for me to pick one because I'm like, well, damn, it depends on what I'm feeling like that day, but.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah that's true. Very true, <laughs> very true. All right, your last question for the manly round is if you could prank one person and this is, you can travel in time for this. So it could be somebody in the past or somebody current But they—the only request is they have to be well known. So majority of people around the world need to know who this figure is. If you could prank one well-known person, who would it be? And only if you know the prank, you can let us know what that would be. But I just want to at least know who you would go after. I
1: I think I would prank Vladimir Putin. I think that's a good
0: one. I would find a a way. Terrifying one.
1: Right? Yeah. It it would be a a horrible, cruel—you know, um, like like stain his face forever, kind of. <laughs> but that my mind went, you know, if when you started saying like a historical figure or something, I, my mind went to Abe Lincoln just to be able to say, I pranked Abe Lincoln. Um, because I think that would be fun, but yeah, I, I think I would love to have the satisfaction of, of ruining his day.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Terrifying. Like former KGB. So you're like, oh crap, I get <laughs> right? too close yeah. to this dude's going to be bad. But you didn't give me the
1: rules. So I just said, yeah, no, own it,
0: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You could disappear right after you prank him. You would never just know. Gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's a good one that's a good one well cool brother you did well in the manly round i appreciate the answers do i get
1: to keep my man card hopefully
0: you do you (laughs) do you get to keep there's some
1: guitarist out there listening to this going fucking motley Crue," and he thinks that's (laughs) good like come on I, i get it i get
0: it come on (laughs) I love it. There's always going to be haters, bro. There's always going to be haters. That's it. Well, you know, we talked about your background before the show started with the intro, but I can never do it enough justice So let everybody know a little bit about where you started and then how you became this man today who's coaching amazing people in this world from high level uh, business people to athletes to, you know, everyday entrepreneurs. Let us know how you got to this place.
1: Well, the short answer is gradually, then suddenly. Um, <laughs> you know, like
0: <laughs> all right, or, done. Let's move on. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. That's, that's it. <laughs> it.
1: Or I'll say for something like seven or eight years, I I made all the right moves to study politics and the law and um, public policy to to become somebody who could not only get into law school but fit in in that scene and you know kind of. Um, I was one of those starry eyed guys that wanted to change the world through through law and politics. So when I was in college, I studied political science and economics and English and all the things you're supposed to study to get into law school and do well in law school. Um, and that's the path I followed right out of college. I started working for one of the largest law firms in our area. Actually, now they're one of the largest firms in the country. Um, and I, it was a great job. I, I got to go all over the, the state and do research in courthouses and work for all different departments in the firm. And I loved what I did. So by the time I got into law school, I was like, shit, I've got this kind of figured out. I've been doing this for you know, four years or whatever it was. Well, law school was totally different you know, than, quote, the real world. And sure. that, that was a head fuck just right away. I mean, it was like, wait a minute, we, all the things you're making me do are not how real lawyers do it in real life <laughs> ever. <laughs> and it was incredibly right. frustrating. You know, it would be like, uh, well, I don't even know even so what it would be like, because that's exactly what it was like. So by the time I got through the first semester, I was already having serious doubts of whether I wanted to keep going because it felt like I was stuck in the mud, you know, like I, they were making me do all these things that I knew I would n- probably never have to really do again. Mm. Um, and it got more and more frustrating and more and more frustrating. And then on top of that, I started to really question whether that was how I wanted to spend my days was reading and writing law and policy and, and litigating because I thought I was going to be a litigator, um, all these things. And eventually one day it all came to a, a boiling point. And I was sitting there at my kitchen table, empty house, back door open, um, kind of a nice day, but all the leaves were still in the yard because I hadn't had any time to pick up the
2: leaves. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Squirrels are running around the leaves and just like bothering the shit out of me while I'm studying this four inch thick contract law book. And I jump up from the table and go over to the screen door and yell at the squirrels. I don't remember what I said, but I just caught myself yelling at squirrels in the middle of the day. And I was like, dude, if you got hit by a bus right now or struck by lightning or something and died right now, you would die miserable. You would die miserable. And I was not okay with that. And so I started noticing over the next few weeks when I felt like that versus when I didn't feel like that. And every time I imagined my future in the law, I felt awful and I felt more like that. I I would die unhappy. So did a lot of soul searching, quit law school and- honestly, never second guess that decision. Still don't second guess that decision. Um, I just met a new friend the other night. She's an attorney and she's like, wait, well, you quit in the first year. The first year is really hard. Why did not you keep going? And I was like, cause I knew it wasn't for me. It was like, it was like the the passion lights just turned off. And so that opened up a new door because when you, you go that long at that point, what, you know, like I said, about six, seven years to get to that point it was like, now what, you know, I've worked so hard to get here. Now what? So I started looking at life differently, going, well, if I could have everything I wanted, if I could do work that really lit me up, if I could do work that was exciting and get rewarded in ways that were more fun than just an hourly you know base pay type of situation, what would I want? And I landed on real estate. Um, and, and that's a long story for another day, but long story short, I partnered up with one of the best agents in in town. And we became like brothers. We built this amazing team, went from about, um, I think, 9 million in volume the first year to uh, almost, I think, 45 million by the time we got finished working together about four years later, Um, became one of the best buyer's agents in the country. And I'm not saying that to brag. I I say that to kind of reflect how seriously I took it, how much training and education I got, and honestly, coaching I got to get to that point. Um, And then I got out of production. I stopped actually selling and started only coaching agents and recruiting agents and training them, um, about a thousand days after I started real estate, most people won't do that for 10 or 15 or 20 years after they get started. But that was, mm. you know, for me, it was like, what, what does being the best look like? And at a certain point it was like, okay, I can, I can sell a house, right? Like I can do that. Yeah. What What's the next level of difficulty and, and, um, expertise. And that was training other people how to do it. That's where I got the coaching bug. Um, Once I really started to lean into learning what helps people become their best or stop doing the things that harm them or slow them down or keep them stuck, it was like the fuel I had been chasing that I never got in the law and that I didn't get from selling houses. And then I met this woman named Lindsay Mango. (laughs) And that's actually her name. Mango is her real name. <laughs> um, but, but it, it, sound, this me.
0: person sounds fake as hell bro that's yes, right no. yeah yeah the, honestly
1: this is a true story with the first time i heard her name i said she sounds like a stripper what the hell is that? A- <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> no no i don't want her stage name i want her real name that's it exactly and um
1: so long story short we started dating in in april 2017 and she was a life coach still is a life coach And I was like, what the fuck is life coaching? You know, like I'm in the business coaching space, the real estate coaching and training space. Like we take things seriously. What is this life coaching silliness? She opened my eyes to, in in the first couple of weeks we were dating, she took off. She's like, I got to leave town for a little while. And um, I see her post on Instagram and she's on a rooftop. She's at a rooftop bar, uh, the Omni in New Orleans. And she's working with a drink in her hand by the pool coaching. And mm-hmm. I'm in like the Louisville Kentucky area, stuck in an office listening to people bitch about the same things I've heard for, you know, 9,000 times today. Uh, and I'm like, what mm-hmm. is going on? You're you're blowing my mind with what's possible here. No one's ever I, no one had shown me that at that point. Yeah. All of the the coaches I had been around were much more corporate and much more stiff and rigid, and this was a new level of freedom that I was so excited about. Um, so I don't know, we started dating in April and by July I had quit real estate and started my own coaching practice and consulting company. And I started coaching real estate agents cause that's what I knew. And that's where a lot of my friends and network around the world was. Um, and it just evolved over the years into, you know, somebody refers somebody and somebody refers somebody and it. Just that's, that's the organic way that I like it growing. I don't yeah. have nearly the specific and finite plans that I used to. Um, and we just let this business evolve now with um, really how we want to live our lifestyle. Kind of build the business around yeah. how we want to live the lifestyle now, and that's how that's gradually, really, then suddenly, we got to today.
0: That's really beautiful, man. There's a lot. Um, there's a lot that I, I want to pull out of here, and, and one of the things I want to first go back to is is for a lot of people, they would see themselves. In Chris, as yelling at the squirrels, right? And they're like, ah, you little assholes, you're running around, like, get out of my yard, right? And then a lot of people be like, bro, I'm, why am I yelling at squirrels? And then, and then a lot of people be like, all right, whatever, dude, I'm just going to move on. You had the awareness to say, I was so unhappy. I'm yelling at these little furry creatures for no reason. And <laughs> yeah. I want to ta- take you back to there for a moment, because I want you to help people really maybe help somebody understand that if they're finding themselves in that moment, how can they have that critical awareness to say, oh, this is actually a deeper picture of my life right now. Like, what is going on?
1: It's it's a great question. And the best way I can sum it up is um, there's an author named Michael Singer, and he wrote mm-hmm. the Untethered Soul uh, and the Surrender Experiment, and I, I didn't read these books until later, actually after real estate. But, but this is the this is the way it occurred to me. Um, in the in the book, he talks about sitting down on a couch with I think his brother-in-law, and he's listening to his brother-in-law complain about something, and in his mind, as he's listening to this guy, he's like, God, this is annoying. This when's he gonna shut up? Something like that, you know. Now the difference was. He heard that in his own mind. So he noticed that he spoke it and he noticed that he also heard it. And he had this whole existential moment of, wait, am I the one talking or am I the one listening? What is going on here? And that started his whole path of trying to figure that out. For me, I I think when you get into something really intense, whether it's uh, the military or any kind of really tough physical endurance or training um, or anything really mentally challenging, you notice that voice, right? Because it usually says things like, you need to stop. You need to slow down. This hurts. Don't do this. And mm-hmm. the, the law, the, the first year of law school is incredibly intense. And so I had been used to that voice, right? You're tired. You need to quit. You, you know, like all these things. I, I think in that moment though, it was that, that kind of change that he talked that Michael Singer talks about. It was, oh shit, I heard it, but I don't have to listen to it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's to, to have that awareness to know that you're speaking something and then you don't have to actually act on it.
1: Right. And, and that is a huge, it's a pivotal moment in anybody's growth because you start to realize how much of your movements throughout the day, your actions throughout the day come subconsciously, you know, most of them, almost all of them. Once you have that awakening, you can't go back, right? You can't unring that bell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's powerful. Like, uh, I I relate this because it's it's part of actually a piece that I'm writing in my book right now. But I relate this to, you know, you ever remember when like you hop in your car in the morning, and then all of a sudden you show up somewhere and you remember nothing about the drive? Yeah. Right. Like you're just like, oh yeah, I got here, but I I literally don't remember the turns that took me to get to here. I just, I just know I got here and our brains are very efficient at automating our lives because it creates efficiency. It creates known values and efficiencies within our brains so that our lives are predictable. Right. So then it keeps that whole comfort. Right.
1: And and that's it. We, in coaching, one of the, the primary things that somebody has to learn to really be at peace with where they are in their level of competency or the four stages of competency. And it's like driving a car is the perfect example. You know, when you're Mm. five years old, you have no awareness. You don't know what you don't know. You're an unconscious incompetence. It's unconscious because you couldn't know it. And it's incompetence because you've just never been taught it. It's not that you're dumb and you couldn't figure out what a stoplight looks like. Just (laughs) incompetent, right? Just, just. Uh, innocent would be a good word for it. Yeah. But then at a certain point you get into like, let's say driver's ed and you start to become consciously incompetent. Like you start to know, okay, I don't know what those numbers on the highway mean, but I know they're there. Right. And you start learning. Mm-hmm. And as you raise up through, rise up through that next level of competency, you move into conscious competence, which is like, okay, I know what I know. You get your driver's license, even though you haven't gotten a lot of hours by yourself, you're driving around and you can manage the road. You at least know what you know now. And then there's this magical point after lots and lots of reps, repetitions that you suddenly get home, like you said, and you don't remember the drive because you're unconsciously competent. And I think most people want to jump right into unconscious competence with all kinds of things. And it just doesn't work that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I actually find that because one of the questions I want to go down with you is, is about the business stuff for people. But but the, uh, I think that is where people want to have that unconscious competence. They're like, why can't tomorrow I be making a million dollars and be happy and free and everything? Why do I have to put in all this work every day and learn, okay, today I'm learning about Kajabi and tomorrow I'm learning about Stripe. And then tomorrow I'm learning about how to make a funnel. And then you're like, every day is a learning. They don't want to do that. Most people don't want to do that. They want that. I love that you said that they want that unconscious competence. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's what, that's what separates people is the, the ones who get to a point where they enjoy rising up through those levels over and over and over and realize, you know what, I'm never, I'm never going to sit in unconscious competence long because the game's going to change or I'm going to change. Um, something's going to shift and I'm gonna have to learn again. As part yeah, of yeah. So- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's part of why I called my podcast relentless growth because, well, some asshole said, well, isn't that cancer relentless growth? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right. I didn't think about that. My my point was more of what we're talking about. Like the, the, the journey of growing doesn't stop if you actually want a level of mastery in anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it shouldn't. I think, you know, I talk about this on my podcast and I've, I've written about this numerous times, but It's about like, for some reason, at some point with men specifically, we feel like we are not supposed to be learning anymore because we're expected to know everything. Do you find that in some of the men that you coach with? Absolutely. It is.
1: uh, I interviewed one of the top martial artists in the world, and I asked him who the the toughest enemies he's ever encountered were. And, And I left that word enemy broad for this reason, because he's he's brilliant uh, in terms of his art, but he's also really wise. And he said that the the toughest enemies he ever faced, you want to guess this might be fun.
0: No man. Toughest enemy he ever faced. I mean, if I'm a guy
1: who trains the top operators in the world, so if I'm going to
0: be philosophical, it's going to be himself, but
1: good, good, uh, guess it was age and success. Mm and for exactly what we're talking about that he thought at a certain point you know he's like literally ranked one of the top i think 3 or 4 in the world in his his craft and so he's like you know how much higher can you climb there right um but he never saw it coming that his body well it's not that he never saw it coming he just discounted how much uh, age would take its toll and then also success right it really success made him so comfortable um and he took his eye off of Focusing on, you know, the journey here, the um the art of seeking mastery is actually what's more important than arriving somewhere. And and I definitely see this, not to pick on on um on him, I see this in my clients in, in every way, shape, and form. Mm-hmm. I, I coach people who are um, you know, multi, multi-millionaires, one on the way to being a billionaire. It's and they still have to go through the same shit that the people who are broke have to go through. Uh, there's no arrival. And it's not fun to hear that because we work so hard to reach success or happiness in a relationship or something and we want to just kind of like chill for a while, right? And like enjoy the success, but once we get once we stay there too long, we can lose it all. So that that's a long way to answer your question which is yes, definitely. This comes up all the time in different ways.
0: No, that was a brilliant way to answer it. I love the elaboration on it. And I think that's a, it's another point for, for men out there is to realize that, you know, people talk about being comfortable in the uncomfortable. I've said this numerous times and, and I firmly believe that because the fact is that when you realize that everything has its nuances of uncomfortability or discomfort, right? When everybody has, everything has its nuance, then you're never like sitting at the mountaintop, like, yeah, I won. I'm good. I have no more work to do. You're like, no, there's always going to be a little bit of uncomfort there or discomfort there. And you're going to want to shift that and keep moving somewhere else.
1: Well, and I think you're on it there that it's easy for, you know, that the hyper-masculine man or, or personality even doesn't even have to be a man, but somebody who is, driven to penetrate a goal or conquer something and, you know, really bring that masculine energy to something, whatever their, their goal is um, it it feels foreign to arrive at something and then not have to keep going. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of people get this confused that, you know, that, that masculinity is about achieving, conquering, uh, et cetera. And I think it's actually about just keeping going and exploring and not settling um, and that changes your goals a lot. You know, like you see this with, with, um, I'll pick on money again. You see this with wealthy people. Cause they hit the first million and they're like, well, that's not enough. We'll go for 10 million. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. they get 10 million. Like, Well, that's not enough. We'll go for a hundred million. And then almost always somewhere in that journey. It's like, it's not about the money. It, it this, yeah. this has to be about more than just conquering, um, something temporary, something finite. This has to be deeper, um, more passionate or more purposeful than just a, a stop in the road.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. I, I, that, and I think that's where um, we've heard it time and time again. And it's always about like, it's not about the money, right? You, you just said it. It's not about the money. We've heard it time and time again. And then people are like, yeah, but it's always said by people who have a lot of money. <laughs> and you're like, well, but at one time they didn't first right. off. And second off, because they have the money and they're saying that they're also finding that they're unhappy somewhere. Right. Yeah.
1: And I'll I'll tell you this too, that I, I coach people, I I built a a business within my business where we can, we have an entry level one-on-one coaching program because my coaching now starts at $25,000. That's not feasible for a lot of people who really want great coaching. So we, I I trained another coach and built an opportunity where somebody can train with us or coach with us for 1200 a month. That's still a pretty far cry. So I have the podcast, which is free because some people want that. But I'll tell you this, that the we, we track the levels of happiness and satisfaction in all kinds of areas of life. There's no um, there's no way to predict based on how much money somebody makes. We've been tracking this for like six years. There's no way to predict how happy somebody is based on the money they make. We, yeah. we have people who are infinitely, and I know that there's so many people who are going to listen to like, duh, we've heard this a million times in different ways. But I what I'm saying is when somebody comes in and they're unhappy, it has nothing to do with how much money they make.
2: Mm. So
1: that you know to see those numbers over and over and over and to see that proven over and over and over is it, it's always fascinating to me and it's always humbling to me um, because it's easy to use money as the yardstick, uh, right to, to say like once yeah. I get that, then I'll be happy.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's because it's tangible, right? It's tangible. We can imagine the things that we can buy with it. We can imagine the life we have with it, right? The fr- the quote unquote freedoms we'll have, but. The freedom is not ne- like the money is just a mechanism. It's never the root to who we are inside. So the money gives us an ability to do something. But if you're unhappy, you're still just going to exacerbate unhappiness. You're still going to be connected to whatever is causing you discomfort in your life, because most of that is all drawn internally. A hundred percent.
1: I coached a guy. Um, obviously, I'll leave him anonymous since I'm going to pick on him. Um, <laughs> dude, dude's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And told me he didn't want to buy steak and eggs when he went out to to breakfast that day because it was like $25 and that's absurd. And who do they think they are for charging that much?
2: <laughs> like,
1: dude, come on. This this has nothing to do with the money. You can't see that. So yeah. um yeah, you know, and that's just it shows you though that. Our our minds really make it real, whatever it is yeah. that we're fixated on, whether it's lack abundance or otherwise.
0: Yeah, so good, brother. Well, uh, you mentioned the four stages of competency, and I know this is probably a very deep question, but could you give us a surface level answer of kind of what that looks like, the four stages of competency?
1: Yeah, it's it's going back to that analogy of learning how to drive. the The first stage is unconscious incompetence. You just don't know what you don't know. The second stage is conscious incompetence. You're starting to become aware of like the edges of what you don't know. So this would be if you want to um, pick up hunting, for instance, you know, well, I'm going to need a weapon of some kind, and I know I'm going to need a place to hunt, and I'm going to need an animal to choose or whatever, or fish, I guess. (laughs) And uh, I guess that's fishing. That's not hunting. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. and you're starting to see the contours of what you don't know, right? So you move into mm. conscious incompetence as you learn and grow and get more reps, you move into conscious competence, which is simply like, now I know what I know, right? I, I know what I need to go hunting. I know what I need to do in order to, to execute this successfully. I guess execute isn't the best word for that. It sounds a little dark,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's,
1: you know, you know how to pull it off and you can go do it just fine. Now the 10,000th time you go hunting or your hundredth, well, I guess your 50th season hunting, you don't think about it anymore, right? You're mm-hmm. already in the field before you realize, oh yeah, I, I got everything I need. I got It's all right here. So you're an unconscious competence. Does that uh, as it. Well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to, I wanted to outline them. So people got a clear picture. Cause we, we talked about it in a, in a way that we were moving through a scenario, but I wanted people to know, okay, like this is the clear delineation of what we're talking yes. about, like the title of yeah, it. Yeah. And, and so.
1: the, the car analogy is, is probably the best one because you just, you don't know anything about the rules of the road, unconscious incompetence. You start to learn in driver's ed or something like it. And you move into conscious incompetence. Like, okay, there's a lot I don't know. I got, there's things I got to be, I didn't know we had blind spots. I got to be careful now. And then yeah. you start driving, you get your license and you move into conscious competence and you know what you know. You know how to do it. You know what it looks like. You're not the best at it just yet. And then one day you get home or you get to work and you don't remember the drive and you know you're in unconscious competence because you did it unconsciously.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I know. Beautiful, brother. Thank you for uh, kind of, giving us the summary on that so everybody yeah. can track what we're talking about. So, so one of the other things that I, I really enjoyed that you went over and I want to really fit this into the conversation is is how you have changed to allow the business to evolve with the life that you desire to have. Yeah. And I think most people are in the flip side of that where their life fits into the business that they have to be in. And they don't really see another way around this, whether it's because of the fact that they're a cog in the wheel in society and just part of a bigger machine, or whether it's because the fact that they feel that they're good at something, so that has to be their business, right? So I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I think you can really help people find maybe there is more to their life that they can step into that actually allows them to enjoy it while making good money and living the way that they desire to live.
1: It's, it's a big question. Let me frame it this way, that, that I kind of feel like I've lived three lifetimes um, in my professional life because I used to be the guy that would, would come into the law firm when it was dark outside and I wouldn't leave until it was dark outside. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know Yeah, and I only got paid based on that hourly rate or maybe some overtime here and there. But that was you know that was life. and, and to me that was how I made it work and how I made good money. And then when I got into real estate, that didn't, those rules were no longer rules, right? Mm -hmm. I could, I could actually the biggest paycheck I ever got in real estate was from a referral. So I got paid thousands and thousands of dollars for a phone call. And I had to take that, you know, and put it back against what I thought was life at the law firm and like, this, this doesn't make sense, right? Like how, how can the biggest money I ever made be the easiest money I ever made? Yeah. And, I, and I pick on money a lot when we do these things because it's, it, you're right, it's tangible and it's something most people want more of. So it's just kind of easy to pick on, right. but, but yeah. it could be time. It could be anything but this one's just mm-hmm. easy. Um, and so then it got to a point where like, th- there was a, a, a period of time where I was working really hard to build this business, and to um, be the best in the market so that we could easily attract the best agents to our team. And I worked at one point for 17 weeks without a day off. And when I say worked, yeah. I mean, you know, 12 hours a day um either on my phone working leads at at a place working real estate deals um something to do with real estate for 17 weeks i think it was um that's insane you know yeah. a- a- again having that moment of if i died right now if i got hit by a bus right now would i die happy would i die proud would i like this legacy i left behind um and the answer was an easy hell no right so i was like okay there has to be another way so i start learning uh, I have to hand it to, to Keller Williams, the realty company that I worked with. They think so big and there are no limits to what you can do in that environment because it's an entrepreneurial environment. It's like, you know, what? if you don't want to work those hours, that's fine. Let's find another way. And so I was learning from people all over the world who are building bigger teams and being brilliant and novel in ways that they wouldn't have to work 17 weeks without a day off. And as I climbed higher and higher into those conversations, I realized it had to do with how we thought, not just the action we took. And it was very clear to me that these people, these very successful, very happy, very wealthy people thought differently, fundamentally differently about the world and about work. And yes, they took different action, but I'm still convinced 95% of it was all up here in their head. Mm -hmm. As I, I... started to apply this to my life, it, it got better and better. I got more time. Um, I got free time, right. <laughs> to just decide, mm-hmm. Oh, there's blank space in my calendar. What do I want to do right now? And uh, when I decided to, to start a coaching business, I was like, okay, I have to be authentic here. I have to to do what I'm going to ask people to do. And, you know, if I could have anything I wanted, how would I want my life and business to look? I don't want to work Honestly, I don't even want to work 60 hours a week sometimes. And that sounds crazy because I enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. We travel at this point. um, I'd say we travel probably 10 weeks out of the year or something like that. Um, We have a baby now, so we've slowed down quite a bit. (laughs) That changes things. Um, But the ultimate question that I ask here is, is some variation of if you could have it all, what would it look like? because mm-hmm. most people won't have the audacity to think that way because they're afraid of what it's going to require them to go do. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that it's the opposite that once you ask the question and you start revealing great answers, then it's liberating to go after it that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Is this,
1: I'm, I know I'm I'm kind of tangential here. Is this making sense? Um,
0: oh, this for- is powerful, brother. I think okay. this is very powerful. When somebody has that ability to ask that question, I think it's, it's, the it's really terrifying because I'll sit here from this perspective. If I were say, for instance, a client and I was asking, you were asking me that question, it means that I actually have to write down and put something out into the universe that's tangible, that's real. And that could seem very extreme because if you asked me everything I wanted or if I could have it all, what would it look like, right? Well, there's no limitations to that question. And so there's only my imagination of what I can perceive my life to be. And so for that, that's very big in the sense that like, Oh crap. Did I just write, I want $600 million and a mansion on top of like, you know, whatever it is, but like, did I just write that? Did I put that out into the universe? Like, Holy crap. You know? And then the, the logical mind comes into that. It's like, bro, that's never going to happen. That's a, that's a Walt Disney dream, man. That's not going to happen. So it's this conflict of when I hear that question coming from a side of saying, like, if I were sitting in front of Chris and Chris were my coach and he asked me that question, that's a very tall order for me to conflict with my conscious brain, my desires and my subconscious, right? Like, so it's like almost three different things.
1: Well, you said the magic word though, conflict. And one of my yeah. favorite ways of looking at this is since when is conflict bad? Or at least right. this type of conflict, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so, you yeah, know, like think there about, are some. There's some. You're, you're, I saw one of your videos, you've been in gyms for almost 20 years, conflict every moment you're in the gym, right? It kind of works yeah. for you. It's good, you know, sometimes to have a certain amount of disturbance of conflict of tension. And if, if you don't have that, you know, if you don't have a coach or you're not in a group where people are pushing you this way. Yeah. That would be my first question is why not? Because we know Hmm. that growth, that the conflict can be one of the best catalysts for personal or professional growth.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Conflict to me, it's, it's like, that's where, you know, the saying, you know, comes from, in my opinion is, uh, finding comfort in the discomfort, because that means that you're always having some nuance of conflict in your life. That's always challenging you, challenging your beliefs, challenging your evolution. Right. And so I think that's, that's incredibly powerful for us to keep in perspective for sure.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's not like you have to go, you know, wake up and be, what's his name? Dave Groggins tomorrow. Um, You know, right? Like, but it is going to require a certain amount of at least discomfort temporarily to start to push and find your edges. I remember when when I decided when when I was in this like transition between uh, real estate and and starting my coaching business, I was entertaining offers because I had made friends around the country, really around the world, and they were like, "Hey, we've been watching what you're doing, and you're pretty good at it. Why don't you come talk with us about you know running our division or being our vice president of this?" And I was like, "Well, I'll hear you out." Uh, and one of my good friends who I respect tremendously said, I want you to come to Texas and we're going to spend two or three days together and we're going to find out everything you want out of life, out of business, out of money, out of romance, all of it. And um, if it's a fit, I'd love to go into business together. And he, he asked me a, a thousand questions over those couple of days, but at one point he drew out of me that I just wanted to make, at that point, I just wanted to make, like I, I can still remember being frustrated saying, I just want to make $25,000 a month. And he was like, mm-hmm. okay, and then what? And I'm like, I don't know. That just seems like a lot of money to me right now. He's like, "That that's that's 25,000 a month or a week? And, and I was like, eh. oh, a month. And he goes, well, I just want to be clear. You're saying $25,000 a month. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, is that gross or net? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Like, I guess gross, right? And he's like, okay, you know, you're going to have to pay taxes and you're going to have expenses. So it's really going to be, you know, we're, we're just dropping this number down and down. But he was showing me just how small I was thinking. And while to me in my head, it seemed audacious to say $25,000 a month. That's, that's where I want to go. He pushed me throughout that conversation and we ended up settling at $250,000 a month is where I actually wanted to be. And, And that's what great coaching and mentoring and leaders can do is they can draw that out of you and show you the edges where you 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 have a certain amount of conflict that you're willing to entertain and you won't go any further and and mm-hmm. they if they're doing a good job will you know sometimes gently sometimes forcefully you know guide you across that that conflict threshold into a, a place where there's so much more possibility you just didn't know it you were in unconscious incompetence
0: Mm, Yeah, that is that's powerful, because I've I've done that practice before. And I've seen people do that practice. My wife has been through that practice. And it's very eye opening at how small we actually are thinking, especially in our infancy of, of whatever enlightened journey we're starting to have, like when we're finally open to the possibility of even having that conversation, but we're still thinking so small that you're like, wow, man, I cannot believe that.
1: And it and it applies to everything. We we've talked a lot about money, but it definitely applies to things like love or time, because it if you know we all have these innate rules that we think the world operates by. And if you mm-hmm. ever need to figure out what your rules are, just look at what frustrates you. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> wherever you get frustrated, your rule got broken. Um, yeah. so apparently for me, I have a rule that I should be able to do 80 miles an hour on any road, anywhere in the country ever.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I'm i I'm with that rule. I believe that as well.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So anytime I cannot do that, I get extremely frustrated and I see okay, the <laughs> rule is here and it doesn't serve me. Um, but yeah, it could be with anything. And, and that's, that's part of the fun for me is, is finding those, um, those we'll call them growth edges. Cause I, I just think that it's, it's just an innocence that people have, you know, that they don't know they're operating by that rule. Um, and they, they don't mean to do it necessarily, but once they, they see it, they cannot unsee it and they can't go back mm-hmm. and that's fun. Yeah.
0: How do, how do we give them a tactic to start finding these rules? What can you give people to start really pushing that edge on themselves and look and examining their life holistically in a way that they're finding these different rules that are kind of confining them?
1: We will have a, a downloadable for this up in a few weeks. It'll be after the new year though, but we do an exercise and you can do it right here. Uh, you, you don't need the, um, the, the PDF or anything to do it, but we outline the the most important areas of your life and your business, whether, whether you own a business or you, you have your own career in a corporate setting or something else. But, you know, we look at things like health, money, romance, fun, and hobbies, um, spirituality, uh, I'm going to stop there and then let you all fill in the blanks because some people Mm -hmm. have things like travel that, that they can't imagine, you know, not having travel on their list of what's most important in their life. But we, we write out, I would say about seven or eight after that, they start to get a little repetitive, but you get your list there. And then what we're going to do is rank everything on a scale of one to 10. And just quite simply 10 is a lot of people, especially, you know, highly driven and highly motivated people will tell me well nothing can ever be a 10 out of 10.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm like, then clearly you haven't had good enough sex. but <laughs> <laughs> But I'll tell them, you know for the sake of this exercise, you're going to suspend that rule and actually push yourself to think what this could be if it were a 10 out of 10. Yeah 10 out of 10 means you would have nothing left to say this would make this better. Um, and really again, push yourself to get there. But you start outlining what life and business would look like if it were a 10 out of 10. Um, One of the things that I I do with with especially CEOs or or people who own a business is their free time. And we need to actually look at what does a 10 out of 10 free time situation look like for you. And by the time we get finished, it's usually, you know, like five to 10 pages of just kind of brain dumping all this out. Um, But they have these epiphanies. Like a lot of times their 10 out of 10 free time situation is like 10-15 hours a week of just blank space where they can decide do I want to go play golf? Do I want to go fishing for a while? Do I just want to play with the kids for extra time? Like I just want 10 to 15 extra hours. Then we do a quick audit and pull 10 to 15 hours out of their business, delegate this, delete that, uh, make an extra hire over here, and boom, they have their 10 out of 10 free time. And they're like, Holy shit, I didn't realize I could do that. And it's like they just Mm -hmm. discovered fire, you know, like so. I would say if if you're searching for where you don't, or, or like you don't know what you don't know about those parts of your life, this is the most accessible way I can think of to get to it. Um, it's going to require some imagination. You know, you'll have to push yourself, but also give yourself permission that this is just the first draft. You know, five years from now, we'll be looking at this going, you, you thought $25,000 was big, you know? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> you exactly. thought 10
1: hours a week was a lot of free time, you know? Um, at least get started though, because gradually working on this, you'll improve your life. You'll improve your business. And then suddenly you'll look up and go, Holy shit, this is my life. This is great. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's beautiful, brother. I love that practice. And thank you for sharing those tools with everybody, because, yeah. uh, by the way, we'll link all of, you know, Chris's stuff at the end of this, so you can make sure you're tracking them when they get this PDF out, if you want that to help you. But that's really beautiful, man. It's when we can grasp all that stuff and then see, kind of what those 10 out of 10s look like, then we have an ability to see what true happiness for us means. And then we can start to carve our life out accordingly, whether it's like you said, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, whatever that's coming into your life that kind of takes away from being able to have those tangible results.
1: It's it's unfortunate too, because so many men that I've coached are on this hamster wheel. They, they think they're marching toward you know, some version or some variation of ultimate happiness and success, but they haven't stopped to look up and ask themselves, well, how would I know if I actually hit success? How would I know if yeah. I actually hit happiness <laughs> and yeah. is, is what I'm going for even feasible, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. yeah, it's, it's a simple practice, but definitely enlightening.
0: Yeah. Well, as we're kind of winding down here, I wanted to uh, ask you too, because something you kind of alluded to is, is how, a good coach would kind of ask certain questions for everybody out there. So I, I find it that men, uh, yes, men, this is a show for you and I'm picking on you guys. Uh, men have a hard time asking for help, number one, then they have a harder time paying for help, number two. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, when a guy does commit to this, what would you or what would maybe a couple pointers what would you give to guys to say hey this th- these are kind of some evaluation pieces to help you make sure you find a coach that is actually doing the job of helping you find this true happiness or trying to find the breakthrough the the struggle points in your life
1: i want to make sure i understand are are you asking like how do you how do you know you find how do you find a great coach or how do you know you found yeah. the right coach for you? Is that that Not, the well? It? Right,
0: right coach would be super subjective. I would say like a great coach because a great coach, oh. there's going to be certain tangibles. Like you said they're they're asking they're asking transformative questions. They're pushing you to that edge. Like those are a couple pieces I see in good yeah. coaches. Yeah. Um. So if there's anything else you can add on to that to help guys really say, okay, I'm going to add this to my list.
1: Okay. Yes. Now I understand. Um, Well, let me, let me start with saying I've, I've experienced just about every type of coaching modality that's out there. Um, And there are so many different ways to experience what we're talking about as coaching. Uh, You know, I, I learned it originally from mentors. That's not, not coaching, right? They're, they're pouring into me how they do things, the best way that they know how, but that's not what I know as coaching. I have been, I have experienced consulting and I have been and am a consultant. That's where we're kind of providing a solution or saying, here's exactly the way to do this for someone else. That's not not coaching, but that's not how Mm. we know coaching, you and I. So what is it, right? Our English word coaching just is so inadequate for what I do, (laughs) which is ask questions until somebody self-discovers their own path and is completely on fire about it and will run through a wall to get what they want because they're so passionate about it, so clear about it. And it's not necessarily that my way was the best way to do that. Um, I, I remember I was coaching an agent, a uh, real estate agent, um, not a secret agent. And <laughs> she, um, she went into a meeting to, to do this consultation the way I had taught her. And the way I had taught her was to ask for the business at the end. She went in and did the opposite. She just got intuitive an intuitive hit to ask for the business at the very beginning because, as she said, they trusted me and they were ready to go. So I saw no reason to wait. So I just said, hey, you guys want to work together? And slid the paper across and they signed it and I saved myself a half an hour. And I was, I was <laughs> laughing hysterically. I was like, this is so great. This to me is what a great coach will do. They will say, Hey, here is a a great suggestion that, that I know to work. However, if you have a better way, we're going to let the best idea win. And I'm going to support you and encourage you no matter what you choose, because sometimes you're going to win like that. And other times you're going to fail, but my way is definitely not the only way or the best way definitively. So I would be searching for someone who has that level of openness and flexibility and clarity that they are not a prophet. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. You know,
1: they are not somebody who has all the fucking answers. Because if they're promising that, I promise you they're lying. Um yeah. they, they are someone who is willing to jump into the deep end with you and and teach you how to, to swim and not say, I'll drag you kicking and screaming with a lifesaver here um, to my promised land. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Is that specific? I love enough? That. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's very eye opening. I think people can take a lot from that. Well, brother, this has been amazing. Obviously just a great time jamming out with you a lot of fun. I appreciate your wisdom. Tell everybody what you got going on right now. I know you also, for anybody that is interested in some high-level one-on-one coaching, I believe you do have a couple spots available still yes. maybe.
1: Yes. So, and thank you for having me on, man. This was a blast anytime. Um, and we need to trade shows by the way. Um, and also thank you for your service. And I, I see your flag behind you there. I love that. And also I know a lot That's of cool. your friends uh, and people who listen to the show um, are veterans. Thank you guys too. I appreciate and, and ladies too, I appreciate that. Um, working with me. Yeah, easiest way to work with me. Go to uh, goodmancoachinginc.com or at goodmancoaching on Instagram. And you'll see the link there. It's, we usually have it pretty bright lined, like work with me one-on-one or join the group. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we have an entry-level one-on-one program. We also have a mastermind that's for entrepreneurs only. And this is, this is a um, high-level kind of group where people are getting together to talk about high-level business problems and high-level life problems, because the two, in my opinion, are inseparable. Um, it's about 70% personal growth and mindset coaching and figuring out what's going on in your mind, um, what's working and not working there. And then thirty percent tactical business um, strategy, that kind of thing. Uh, then, as you mentioned, working one on one with me, yeah that that to me, right? Like, I'm not going to lie. Most coaches I know don't want to do one on one anymore. I fucking love it. I will probably do it till the day me I too. die. It, it's such a blast for me to just get in there and, yeah. and go fast with somebody, and and you know, it's just me and them. Um, so you can fill out the application, like I said, at Goodman Coaching Inc. or on uh, at Goodman Coaching on Instagram. Uh, really that is reserved for entrepreneurs, CEOs, people who have a team, uh, the particular set of challenges that we're dealing with there are, our higher level business, higher level life. Um, but I will say that the requisite to work with me is you have to be on a mission to help people with your product or service. If, if you're mm-hmm. looking for someone just to like, you know, teach you how to make more money faster so you can sell the business and move on. I have no judgment against that, but that's not who that one-on-one coaching is reserved for. Um, so again, does that answer the question?
0: (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is all, this is all about you. I want everybody to know where to get into your ecosystem and, and find something that fits, you know, if they are wanting to work with you, like find something that fits their, their palette and able to jump in with you. Cause obviously I believe you're a great coach. Um, I obviously love what you're doing out in the world today. That's why I had you on the show and I really want people to work with you if they resonate with it. So yeah, man, that definitely, uh, is, is perfect. Anywhere that you guys can get a part of it. And we'll have all this linked in the show notes. So everybody listening, if you didn't jot it down, go ahead to head over the show notes, click on the links. You can follow Chris over there, Chris, your last question before I let you off the hook to go, uh, hang out with the family is what does the art of masculinity mean to you?
1: Ooh. That's a good question. I should have prepared for that. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I like I mean, it when you guys don't, actually. I, I
1: definitely didn't. So this will be uh, real-time um, processing. You said, what is the art of masculinity? I, I'm what, it, borrow, what does it mean to you personally? What does it mean to me? I'm, I'm going to borrow from, from somebody I consider a mentor, Gary Keller, the co-founder of um, Keller Williams. He said his version of success is being appropriate in the moment. And when I think about what what I want my daughter to experience about masculinity, or what I want my clients to experience about masculinity, or my wife, I think it's about being the appropriate man in the moment, um, because it changes, right? We need to we need to be able to adapt and evolve, uh, and sometimes slow down, sometimes speed up, turn it on, turn it off, uh, and, and I don't know how to describe it other than being appropriate in that moment. Um, so I I hope that's not too vague, but I, I, when I think about like the apex predator that I can be in terms of masculinity, it's that, you know, on a dime, I can turn it on, off whatever I need to do.
0: Yeah, no, that's perfect, brother. It's what it means to you. And and that's the beauty of the question is that, you know, for every man, uh, masculinity takes its own different shape. And that's why I believe it to be an art. And that's why I always ask this to you guys, that's beautiful, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Chris, it's been a blast having you on the show. Thank you so much, brother. Just a lot that you've given us and you've shared with the community. So grateful for your time and your wisdom. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Till next time, guys.